Welcome back to the Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Armstrong. Each and every week, my guest this week is an old friend of mine and one of the advertising industry's legends. In fact, he's in the Hall of Fame. Longtime uh, Austinite, lifelong Texan, Roy Spence, tells some amazing stories about the early days of the firm he started, GSDNM. Letters stand for the last names of all of his partners, who were all classmates at the University of Texas. Talks about getting the account for Southwest Airlines, transforming that business. Talks about Sam Walton calling him up. Uh, yeah, an old guy named Sam Walton, you know, who ended up being one of the richest people in the world. He calls him Collect, wants to talk to him about blowing up the Walmart brand. Interesting, interesting guy, uh, not just talking about advertising, talking about politics, talking about culture, talking about hope, talking about promise, talking about a lot of really cool things. But before we get to Roy, a couple of uh, quick things. One, um, I don't know if you guys saw some of my posts last week on on all my socials, but uh, we're doing a screening of, uh, of, a, of a documentary called Le Ride, L-E Ride. Phil Kogan, the host of, of The Amazing Race uh, has been a, a cyclist for a long time, has ridden across America once before. Somehow that wasn't hard enough or crazy enough. He decided that in honor of um, a four-man team that raced the 1928 Tour de France, one Kiwi and three, Australia, uh, three Australians, he thought it might be cool and fun to go replicate that effort. So go recreate the bikes, find the bikes, um, you know, get them in in good enough shape to ride them, which turns out was very hard to do. And then to actually go ride the exact course from the 1928 tour. Now, keeping in mind, the Tour de France in 2018 is going to be 2,000 miles, more or less. The route in 1928 on these shitty bikes was 3,300 miles. So they not only had to do it as as we kind of know it or think about it, it was 1,300 miles longer. And so uh, we're going to screen the film to ride at the Alamo uh, Draft House here in Austin. Tickets are uh, basically sold out. So if you if you hear this, hurry up and um, either go through through my socials or go through Alamo Draft House here in Austin and get a, try to get a ticket. Phil and I um, are going to have a conversation after the, the screening. I'm not sure that that is exactly a podcast, um, but I, I do hope to get him to sit down and, and uh, have a little one hour discussion about. Obviously about that tremendous effort, but um, also talking about the amazing race. 30 years on the air. Nuts. So uh, last thing, uh, sales uh, registration is open for the Texas 100 come April 14th. We moved it up this year. We want to capture the wildflowers and make the weather and hope the weather's a little cooler. Can't make the weather do anything. But uh, go to wedosport.com, sign up early. There's an early bird special for the next couple weeks. I think we have it at 99 bucks. And I uh, hope to see you all there. It's, uh, it is We Do Personified. It's a beautiful route. Not easy, but uh, you guys got it. You got it in you. Uh, all right, let's get to Roy, and um, I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. What is ride at dawn? <laughs> well, 
Lance, my brother, uh, we started our agency in about 10 years into it. Uh, we didn't know anything. And uh, so we were pitching a piece of business, and we shouldn't have gotten it. It was a client, U.S. Homes or something down in Houston. And we got it. So we drank. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, I do know. <laughs> and, I know uh, everything uh, about what you just, just said. Uh, so we had a big party, and it was about 1 o'clock in the morning. We are doing tequila shots. And I get on the table, and I said, drink up, my friends. For tomorrow, we ride at dawn. And you just made it up? Right, right on the spot. And my creative director was sober, and uh, he remembered it. And so he didn't, wasn't a text. He called me the next day, and he said, you know what you said it to in the morning after we went that business? And I said, I know everything. I said, okay. What did I say? <laughs> exactly. And he said, you got on the table, and you said, Drink up, my friends, for tomorrow we ride at dawn. And ever since that, because I'm an early riser, I get up at 4, 4.30, whatever, uh, every, I sign off everything, we ride at dawn, and it becomes sort of that mantra mm-hmm. of let's go, mm-hmm. let's go. So we ride at dawn, and I've been doing it for 25 years. And when you, so for the the, 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 the listener, I mean, when you say the agency, and, and you know, this is so cool, I mean, Growing up more or less here in Austin and, and growing up right down the street from GSDNM. Yes, sir. I remember when you guys first built this massive presence there in the Idea City. and and But for the listener, the, the G and the S and the D and the M, the S is obviously you, yeah. Roy Spence. The G and the D and the M, and then there's another letter that are your other partners. That yeah. were colleagues, our, our classmates of yours at the University of Texas. Yeah, Lance was he's, he's lucky. I grew up in a little town called Brownwood mm. and uh, played on a state championship team and uh, football. And I had a choice. My uncle went to the Naval Academy. We didn't have any money. And so Roger Stallback was my hero, mm. and I was a quarterback too. And so all my life I was going to go to the Naval Academy, and I got accepted. And real quick story on that is that I woke up about three weeks before I was supposed to go out there, and I talked to my mom. She was a school teacher, and amazing. And I said, Mom, I got a problem. She said, what is it? I want to go to a place where I can see if I can get up in the morning by myself. <laughs> that is a problem. And she said, well, you can't go to the Naval Academy then. Yeah. And she backed me. And so I went to the University of Texas. I think I had more people in the dorm than my town. And we did the – the, we got together our sophomore year, and I was the orientation advisor for a lot of reasons. But uh, we started doing these crazy-ass multimedia shows. Back then, it was called McLuhan, the mediums, the message. So we had film and slides, and this was during the Vietnam War, and it was all the who and Steppenwolf, all this kind of stuff. And we'd do these hour-long shows in the AC Auditorium, and kids would line up thousands mm. to pay us 50 cents or – a brownie. We, we can. This is America. We can talk about this. And we kept doing these shows, my partners, Gersich and Trabulsi and McClure. And uh, we looked at each other, and I think we graduated. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> and we said, what the hell are we going to do? And so Steve Gersich looked at me, and he said, well, I sold ads at the Daily Texan. Let's go into advertising. Yep. And I went, great. What is it? What's that? <laughs> and... So we started GSDNM. I had a brand-new tie-dye T-shirt. My ponytail was looking awesome. I went down to a place called City National Bank. It's not there anymore, but to get a loan. 
Mm-hmm. And I sat down, and no one was there at the loan officers. And finally, this guy hits me on the shoulder and said, "I'm sorry, young man. Do you, do you have an appointment?" And I went, "No, but you're not like busy. Have you ever seen a banker busy?" Anyway, he he said, well, "What do you need?" And I said, five thousand dollars for GSDM." He said, "What's your business plan?" Yeah. <laughs> I said, "Excuse me." <laughs> what's your? I said, "Well, we want to like stay together. We want to like stay in Austin. We want to make a difference, and we want to get really rich." And he lent me the money, and we paid it back a couple of weeks ago. And things take time, right? But yeah, right. She started. I used to say it was greed, sex, drugs, and money, but right. I, I don't do that anymore because well, you did stay together. We're you forty-six did stay years in Austin, and still trying to make a difference. I, I'm here to tell you, you y'all well, got rich. Well, I, well, we got a little money. And away. so, and I read, <laughs> I, I knew this story, and as as you read that story, at least the way I read it, you read about somebody that I had never heard of. Robert Smead. Yeah. Who co-signed the note. Co-signed the note. Never told me. But uh, did you know Robert Smead? Robert Smead, uh, my friend Jerry Smead was a a fraternity brother, and Robert was an attorney here in town. He became a mentor of all of me, Steve, Judy, Tim. But that was later on. But he found out, he was on the board of City National Bank, and he found out that I requested a loan. Yeah. And and he said, I'll co-sign it. And he never told me. Never knew. Because he wanted, he wanted us to believe that we got it on our own. Right. Right. And how, how long after did you? 20 fit? years. We Are you know. serious? No. 20 years later, he says, by the way, I. No, a friend. Of, he never told us. A friend told us. Wow. He said, you said, oh, man, over there with a cane, you know him. I said, yes, sir. He's Robert Sneed. You remember that 5000 you borrowed at City National Bank? Went like it was yesterday. He co-signed that note because he wanted you all to believe you got it on your own. Man. And without That's that, purpose. without yeah, that, wouldn't, wouldn't, couldn't have done it. There'd have been no greed, sex, drugs, or money, and drugs. <laughs> That'd have been a real shame. Uh, thank you. And what was what was as you know, not to go all the way from you know tie dye shirts all the way to you yeah. know, creating. And when I say creating, I mean literally creating brands, right? And in our society, we talk a lot about brands. And I mean, this podcast is a brand. Yeah, it's yeah. all about the brand, right? Yeah. But you guys made Southwest Airlines, Walmarts of the world. You made these brands. How long until that happened? Well, first of all, we got, we, the, Lance, you, you can appreciate this. Best thing we ever did was to be in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. because there weren't any advertising agencies. And there's a difference between a maverick and a renegade. A renegade knows the rules and says, to hell with it. A maverick, a maverick just doesn't know what they were. We didn't know what the rules were. Mm. I had a little portfolio. We'd, ret- we'd do all these little retail stores. And if I called up on Monday and they didn't make sales, we didn't get paid because they'd borrowed the money. Mm. So I realized we really never were in the ad business. We are in the business to build our client's business. Truly. Really. Mm. The big break we got was I ran a guy named Bob Kruger for Congress in 1974 against this guy named Nelson Wolf in San Antonio. Bob Kruger was a Ph.D. in English. This was the largest goat and sheep raising district in Texas, and he didn't know the difference. He was dean of students at Duke, graduate from Oxford University, and we were running against the popular guy. We ended up beating the other guy. I get a call from a woman named Colleen Barrett, who was Herb Kelleher's assistant. I didn't know who they were. <laughs> I didn't know who Herb Kelleher was. I was 28 years old. Right. Herb Keller, who founded, he Southwest, founded Southwest Airlines. I didn't know. And he was a big supporter of the other guy. 
So he calls up and says, you kick my ass when you come see me. Wow. And I didn't know who he was. So I tried to find, I finally found out he was a founder of Southwest Airlines. And I drove to see him and we had a two hour conversation. He said, do you drink? And I went a lot. <laughs> and he pulls out a, a mayonnaise jar of mezcal Ugh. that a pilot had brought in from Mexico with a worm in the bottom. We drank the whole jar, ate the worm. He hired me. That was and we 35 or whatever years yeah. ago, and we still do all the work. He gave us the break of our life. Wow. And next year, I get a collect call. Now, young people, if you're listening to this, you don't know what that is. Right. Okay. But I get a collect call from a guy named Sam Walton. I thought it was my daddy. My assistant said, there's a collect call from Sam Walton. I went, what year is this? Seven, uh, seven, 80. I don't remember. It's like three years after we got Southwest. Yeah. And Sam gets on the phone and he says, we accept the call. <laughs> you know, whatever. Cheap. Anyway, I loved him. He said, Overroy, I like you for two reasons. One, my dog is named Overroy. And now I'm introduced to new Overroy dog food. So I like you. Uh, I love what you're doing for Herb. We're about to go into our first city. We hadn't been in it. Will you come see me? With Sam Walton. Right. So I get on the airplane, <laughs> and I fly just... from Austin to Dallas to Fayetteville to Fort Smith, rented a car through Hogine, Tonky Town, whatever it's called, get to Bentonville, Bentonville yeah. with a big briefcase with nothing in it so I could look important. Right. Just faking it. Faking it. And I walk into Walmart. I'm shaking. And Sam's there, and the other guys are there, and, and I have the briefcase on, over my knees because I'm terrified. And he made me, you know, great to have you, old Roy. Great to see you. He said, but where's the rest of your staff? Hmm. And I was frozen. Hmm. And they just kept staring at me. Where's the team? Where's the team? And finally, and it's in his book, but I kind of shook the shoulders back and I said, you know, Mr. Sam, there's an old saying in Texas, one riot, one ranger. What kind of problem you got? <laughs> He falls out of his chair, and he puts his arm around me. He says, you're hired, old Roy. Wow. 17 years. I flew with him. I traveled with him. I went store to store with him. I'll tell you the greatest lesson he taught me. Curiosity does not kill the cat. It kills the competition. He was, we, every day, we'd have to go find out what Kmart was doing better yeah. than us or Sears, Sears. or yeah. anyone. Yeah. And then we'd have a Friday morning meeting, and we'd talk. And I was, I was a vendor. But you know what, Lance, I got lucky. None of uh, my relationships were a vendor because I was working with Herb and Sam and Norm right. Brinker who started Chili's. Sure. Yep. And so we were not vendors. We were partners in building the business. Yep. And in the process, People. they built ours. <laughs> Big time. Wow. That is just... <laughs> oh, Roy. I love that, man. What do you tell Sam Walton, if he were alive today, to do? In the face of, because what it's interesting because yeah. what Walmart did yeah, is they came, they agreed, they destroyed Main Street. You mm -hmm. know, the the hardware store went away, the dog food store went away, the the you know the bike shop went, it all went, and it was out a mile out of town in these big boxes. And so now, they have now it's the onslaught by Amazon. Amazon, yeah. I mean, what does Sam Walton do in the face? What does Sam Walton do if he's in the ring with Jeff Bezos? Well, I don't know Jeff. 
Uh, I, I know a lot about the company, and I've admired and respected uh, the fact that he created the future. This is what Sam did. And the great entrepreneurs create the future. They don't yeah. predict it. They don't. And and I would it, Sam would basically have a team, and he'd be saying this. And, and I actually said it to him, and he said, can I steal it? No, he said, can I borrow it? Because he didn't steal anything. He just borrowed it, used it, and <laughs> gave it back. Right. And I said, Sam, I'd always say, Mr. Sam, we, ca we cannot try to be like them because in the end, we'll end up being a worse them. We have to be a better us. <laughs> so, and I believe that. Anytime you want to be like them, they're already them. Right. So you'll be a worse them. So I would be sitting there with Sam and we'd be talking about, okay, Amazon's doing this. And so let's not treat, try to be like them. Let's be curious and on the, but let's reinvent it again. Let's create the future again. I don't know what that is yet, yep. but, um, and I would have hyper focus on Gen Z. They might miss the millennial generation, not totally, but that I'd be looking at a generational shift and trying to figure out what Gen Z is going to be. It seemed like it was yesterday that <laughs> that Amazon's biggest rival was Books a Million. It was. I mean, think about I that. It, it was Books a Million. Million. Yeah. I mean, and I was like, oh, that's a good fight. Yeah. And, and like, you looked away for a brief moment, and then you look back, and this guy. He see, and probably what he found out, I don't know him, and I'm not going to speak for him, but it's like, I don't know if he ever thought he was in the book business. He was in the delivery business, yep. and books was the start. Yep. It's like, um, you know, with Southwest Airlines, we're not in the airline business. We're in the freedom business. Yep. And because right. we started by democratizing the skies. Herb Kerr had to go to the Supreme Court to deregulate the airline industry. Yep. So, it, and we'll talk about don't mess with Texas, but what we, we learned is if you market the category you're in, you're going to get killed you've got to ladder up to something else that's more authentic. And that's what purpose is all about. Yep. We're not in the airline business. We're in the freedom business because authentically we wanted to get people out of buses and cars. Right. We wanted to democratize the skies. What was the, when, when you took on this, I, I read this stat as I was reading about your relationship with Herb Keller and Southwest Airlines, the percentage of people when you, when you got the account, the percentage of Americans who had flown, I mean, it, it was like a 15, it, it, 15%. 15% of America had gotten on an airplane. Yeah. Think about that. And what he looked at, it was genius. Again, I'm not going to be a better Braniff or TWA. Y'all don't remember that, but those are airlines. Were, uh, airline was reserved for the elite. And I'm not saying that's bad or good. It was regulated. And so Herb is a genius, by the way, went lawyer. Yep. Went to the Supreme Court twice, got deregulation. He said, I'm just going to walk beneath the legs of the giants, and then I'm going to slay them. Yep. And it's crazy. He's the largest carrier of passengers in the world now. Wow. Not airplanes, but the largest carrier of passengers in the world. I had a guy drive me to the airport the other day, and, and I had to ask him three or four times. And, and we were, he was dropping me off at United. Yeah. And... And we were talking about the different airlines, and this is an African American man, and and and, I, and he said, oh, "I heard that Virgin's nice, you know, yeah, Virgin flies from here oh, to yeah. San Francisco, yeah. nonstop." And he says, "I've, you know," and, I, and he said it in a way that I, I didn't didn't think I heard it right. He's like, "I've only ever flown Southwest," 
And I took it as he's a loyal customer yeah. of Southwest. Yeah. I said, oh, that's right. I mean, but you've flown United and American and Delta. And he said, no. no. I said, I have only, like, not that he's taken a million trips, but if he's ever been on an airplane, the only no, plane like, he's been on is the Southwest Airlines plane. It's, I, I couldn't, that means you're only going. You, in the old days. That means it, you're not going to Europe. At, in the old days, Asia. it meant if you were only Southwest, basically we, we attracted two types of people. One, we got people off the buses and, and out of their cars, but we attracted the, the uh, small business entrepreneurs that, that was in Austin, but we, they wanted to open a shop in San Antonio, Chewy's. Yeah. Or, and so we had these small business entrepreneurs. By the way, we had free drinks at night. I don't know if you remember that. It's called executive class. On and, Southwest? Yeah, free drinks. No and, tickets. No more drink tickets. No, just free. Yep. And uh, uh, we, the interesting thing about Southwest, and we'll move on, is that purpose, and this is sort of what I spent my life learning, yeah. uh, and we branded purpose-based branding before uh, no other agency in the world has it. I mean, they, they try now, but purpose is that, is that reason you get up in the morning beyond making money mm -hmm. and Southwest and all of us decided that we were authentically in the freedom business. So recently about five years ago, big consultants, Lance walk into Southwest and say, I know how to throw $350 million to your bottom line every year and you don't have to do anything. Hmm. If Sam look. was alive, he'd say, you know, if you get 350 million here and 350 million there, it adds up to like real money. So they said, <laughs> what, what do you have to do? And they said, all you have to do is charge for bags. That's it. Huh. 300, flip the switch. Everybody's doing it. We're all sitting there. A lot of discussion. Well, if you charge for bags, you violate the purpose of the company. Our job is to give people the freedom to fly. If you charge the bag, that's basically the same amount as a ticket to Disney World. Yeah. So Gary Kelly then stands up and says, we're not charging for bags, but y'all go find the money. I hate that when that happens anyway. But so we market the hell out of bags fly free. Comptroller a year later is in the meeting and sits there and he says, well, I just got the money report back. We just generated $1.2 billion of new revenue charging for free. Wow. Because we didn't violate the purpose and we took for competition. So let me do the math on that. So from three fifty to one two. So I'm, I'm think, looking at eight hundred fifty mil. And I think you should we should have just done a percentage deal. Yeah, I don't know. I hate that. But and we probably <laughs> spent fifty million on the advertising. So you know, it's still up to whatever. Seven hundred so to clear eight hundred. And that made it again clear. And now we have that transparency. We don't charge for cha you know changing plans and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. if if you've got a company that sticks with their purpose. And now it's very popular to talk about it. It wasn't when it's 15, 20 years sure. ago. We were out there in the wilderness saying, you got to have a purpose beyond making money. And yep. uh, we helped a lot of companies do that. Yeah. So let's talk about that's we're Now we're talking about, you were, you're talking about money, right? But that, and those are things that, that without you guys, one could argue that doesn't happen. And that, that process doesn't happen. But now let's talk about don't mess with Texas. And then, now we're not talking about money. We're talking about this great Cause. state. And we're literally just talking for the, for people who, well, anybody that listens to the show has heard of don't, don't mess. mess with Texas. And you've seen the stickers, the T-shirts, the hats, the coffee mugs, all that. I mean, even if you hate Texas, <laughs> you got to love that. Yeah. But we're talking about 
a campaign to just ask or encourage people not to throw out a piece of trash. And I think at one point you told me how, you did tell me it's something, but I've forgotten how you came up with Don't Mess With Texas. Yeah, Lance is in, in the, my partner, Tim McClure, who you know mm-hmm. real well. He, we, Mark White had just gotten elected right. governor, which I had done his campaign. And um, Bob Lanier was the head of the highway department who ended up being the mayor of Houston, amazing man. He was sitting there with all the highway department people as chairman of the, the new commission. And the litter people came up and said, well, you know, Mr. Chairman, um, every year litter goes up to 17%, so we need to increase the budget 17% to, to put, clean up the litter. I wasn't in the meeting, but as the story goes, Bob Lanier has his glasses down. He looks at the guy and he said, has anybody ever thought about reducing litter? Hmm. And the room was just like, what? what? So they put the bid out to a $4 million account. And that wasn't much, but $4 million. Uh, and so all these big agencies came to pitch it, and we were just getting up on our heel. We had Southwest, but that's about it. Tim McClure's, we don't have a campaign, and the pitch is two days from now. We haven't figured it out. Tim's walking down the highway, and he looks down. He says, this isn't litter. This is trash. Right. And he wrote it on a piece of trash. Don't mess with Texas. He comes back to the office and we're just staring at him like, what are you talking about? Back then it was the crying Indian and don't pollute, give a hoot. Right. Yeah. And all of these amazing things. And he said, we're going to go with don't mess with Texas. So we fired it up and two days later we're in there pitching. And at the end of the presentation, I said, they looked at it and said, we just don't mess. We just don't get it. The people we're pitching to. And I said, they said, we like the, don't give a hoot, give a, don't pollute, give a hoot. We like the crying Indians and keep America, America beautiful loves that. Right. And I said, it's a great campaign. You know who loves it? The Sierra Club. They don't litter. Right. Hmm. Billy Bob Bowtree from Tyler, Texas litters. Right. He's happy to roll down the window and throw out <laughs> Don't you can. mess with Texas. Yeah. So they pick us. And then we have this huge argument. Tim can tell it better than me. They want the litter barrel on the bumper sticker all everyone keep texas beautiful we can't just say don't mess with texas so tim looks at him and says well this is good you get two choices you can have a litter barrel on the bumper sticker and the bumper sticker will will be in the warehouse or you cannot have the litter barrel on the bumper sticker and the bumper sticker will be on every pickup in america in texas yeah mark white People don't know this, had the guts and say, we're not going to do that. We're going to don't mess with Texas. And God bless him, Stevie Ray Vaughan was our first guy. Yeah. And we play, <laughs> he's sitting there, Stevie, and he does, plays the eyes of Texas, and he finally just looks in the mic and says, don't you mess with Texas. Wow. So we played it to all the highway department people. There were 1,000 people, average age 100, and all had burr haircuts. <laughs> And there was silence. Me and Tim are sitting up there. And an old man finally stands up. I guess I'm his age now. But anyway, an old man gets up and says, Son, I don't get it. And I said, Great, it's going to work. <laughs> I can't make this up. Oh. 
So you when, said that out, you didn't say that out loud. Yeah, oh yeah. I said, great. <laughs> it's just not. I said, I said, great. It's not for you. It's gonna work. Right. Stevie Ray hits the airways. People, Lance, are calling the TV stations, requesting the spot to see it. Yeah. We didn't know. I have still chill bump still. We didn't know. We were kids. And then all of a sudden, our phone starts ringing. Every celebrity in Texas. Once in on, yeah. I want right. to do a Don't Mess With Texas right. spot. I Willie. Believe, I believe I, 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 uh, I said those Too words. Tall Jones. Sure. Warren Moon. George Foreman. We even, the best one, I wish I had it with you. I'd play it. The best, not the best one, but one of them. There's this group called, the back then, the Tyler Horns or something. They were the Hells Angels. <laughs> so we went and talked to them. And it's hysterical. They're in a pool hall smoking and stuff. And one of the Hells Angels says, they're at it again, boys. Let's ride. So all the motorcycles are fired up. And they're out there picking up trash with the little forks and stuff. And this Hells Angel looks in the camera and says, some people are just like animals. Don't you mess with Texas. <laughs> and so it went down 76%. Wow. That's the power if you use marketing as a force for good, you can change behavior. Right. And one would argue that, of course, at, the, at that time, and continues true to this day, of course litter is increasing because Texas was growing and, and millions of people were moving here. And so and in the face of that, it turned around. It did. And now you guys gave the campaign away. Somebody else... Basically, we did it for... I was surprised by that. Well, that was years ago. Years and we ago. Basically, um, my theory about things like that is that, it, it, right or wrong, is that at some point with state contracts, you want to do your job and you want to move on because you never know what politics will get in the way and all that stuff. We did the great tourism campaign, yep. and it was Texas like a whole other country. Again, we didn't position ourselves as a state. We did a survey, and we said, what state do you want to visit? It was Florida, California, our favorite place, Colorado, mm -hmm. New York. People don't know that New York is not a city, by the way. In um, <laughs> no, Texas, is like Both. 20th. Right. Oh, really? And so we said, we're on this state ladder. We're going to get killed, all the states. So we said, we're going to build a new ladder. Texas is like a whole other country. And the first TV spot, we had subtitles with a Texan talking. Oh, my God. It changed the course of Texas. We went from number 11 to number four in tourism in two years. Wow. Just because of Texas, it's like a whole other country. Yeah. And, the, and that, that was a quote. It wasn't Governor Clemens. That was his. He said something around. He didn't like it. He thought it was inappropriate English. Gotcha. Right. And his he wife told me said, this story one day on Rita on said, are you kidding me, Governor? <laughs> it's working like crazy. And the favorite spot we ever did was La Love It. Yeah. And we took his song, You're Not From Texas, But Texas Wants You Anyway. Right. He did this whole thing, and it was probably the most popular spot we'd done in years. But that's just positioning and purpose. Uh, that's how we think about things, yeah. you know. And we're not perfect, but we had a different run at it. Yeah. Pretty damn good, Roy. Well, you know. So if this, is, this is advertising. We're talking... You know, you are, well, you're in the Advertising Hall of Fame. You, you are one of the, the titans of this industry. That industry, so think back to, well, you can think back to the $5,000 loan, to yeah. the, the <laughs> tie-dye tees, to finally getting Southwest, to Sam Wall, all the things we just talked about. 
But that gets us to what is almost 2018 and in, in a landscape and a, yeah. and a society and in a, a, a digital space that's just yeah. completely different. And can everything we just talked about survive the next 50 years? You know, that's a really great question. And as you know, Lance, I've, we've passed the torch to the next generation. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, really, a, I'm a little younger than you. Just, I know just you are. Apart, I know you are. A lot, lot younger. You and Matthews keep reminding me. Anyway, um, but this is really an interesting point. And all of you out there that are listening, most of you don't remember. They, when we started in advertising, there were three channels. Yep. ABC, CBS, NBC. Correct. When they brought in Ted Turner created CNN, we thought the world had ended. Hmm. What, what do you mean? And then there's this thing called FM radio came in. We, all the old people, we were 21, we loved it. God, it's new, it's different, they don't know what they're doing. So my point is that life moves on what stays values purpose differentiation entertainment we have a creative philosophy that's called the uninvited guest and it basically says people don't wake up every morning saying gosh i'd like a cup of coffee and a tidy bowl commercial we're uninvited mm -hmm. so we have to intrigue you we have to entertain you and we have to persuade you most advertising starts with persuade We've always believed you got to intrigue, entertain, and then persuade. So those kind of formulas and purpose are still there. How you execute it is different, whether it's social media, whatever, whatever. So it's radically, the world changed. I, you know, when Al Gore and I invented the internet, you know, we just didn't know right. that, that it was going to be this way. But You really are special. I didn't realize the internet. <laughs> yeah, me and Al both. You know, we don't but, talk about it but much. Let's, I mean, look, I'm going to watch the World Series tonight. Yep. Oh, okay. And so, go Astros. And so, go Astros. And by the time this airs, the World Series will be over. So, yeah, <laughs> anyways, right. whatever. But, you know, it, distraction has always existed. Always, so always. If you watch the World Series in 77 and the commercial came out, if you needed to go to the bathroom or you needed to make another cocktail, well, that, that's, that happened. But a lot of times you just sat there. So, today... That oh, distraction. Right there. I mean, if I don't need to go to the bathroom or right. refill my margarita or whatever, I, I will I most likely will not. I'll grab my phone, check yeah. my messages, return an email, uh, you know, tweet, whatever. You know, and that's, you know. That's it. For the gen whatever, whether yeah. it's Gen Z or Gen Millennial right, or whatever. Right. It's just. How a, do they, how, how is. Well, basically now mobile advertising is now equal with TV. Hmm. 70 billion a year on mobile. And by the way, there's a lot of companies right in here in Austin that are best in the world at mobile marketing. Yeah. And so it's again, messaging, but the mediums are different. And I don't pretend to know the answer to all this. I do know that when you are marketing, no matter what the medium is, I think you need to think purpose values and positioning, mm -hmm. no matter what medium. Um, and you look at the political landscape. I mean, the mediums were just radical this time uh, in terms of what they were able to do with the, with the media, uh, internet marketing. So my theory's always been mediums will change. Fundamental messaging probably stays the same. Yeah. 
in terms of its core, not the execution, but the core purpose, positioning, and meaning. But the price of a Super Bowl commercial won't go down. No, sir. May and by the way, as, and may, by the, may not keep going up as much as it has. And the, yeah, and also too, we there's real data though that Emmys live stuff is where you want your ads to run on TV. Because even if you're going to that whatever, you're they, you create. We've done three now years in a row the avocados uh, in the Super Bowl ads, mm-hmm. and the retention people look for the ads in live events. Well, <laughs> certainly at the Super, Super Bowl, and I mean, they're doing it more that, and more now with right. Emmys and all. The people are starting to realize, hey, you're here for the entertainment. You better create something that's really unbelievable. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I, I and and as avocados go Mexico. Com, de, de Mexico or Com Mexico? <laughs> Mexico, it's <laughs> awesome. Um, let's, let's talk about Bill and Hillary, because I, I know mm-hmm. you're very close friends with with both of yep. them. You were you were working on McGovern's McGovern. Camp, yeah, that went campaign. well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and as the story goes, Bill and Hillary walk in, it's just, and that's. Yeah, we just started and our this business in the- 1972. We'd been in business two and a half years, and they decided that the 18-year-old vote had just come. So the McGovern for president wanted a young agency to, t- to do Texas. Meaning this was, I'm sorry, this was the before you had to be 21? Yeah. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, it was 18. So we, we capitalized on it. I mean, we said we're the best in the world at political marketing to 18-year-olds, and we built a good business out of it. Anyway, they, they hired us to do the 18-year-old vote in McGovern, and they ended up hiring us to do the whole state. And like I said, that went well. And But right in the campaign, we get a knock on our little door, and uh, this is Bill Clinton. I'm, I heard me come see you. And, and I, you know, I'm taking a leave of absence from Yale Law School. And Hillary looks up. I'm Hillary Rodham. And they said to come see you guys, and they were a year older, and we became best friends. And they were, we worked all that time. And, you know, by then I became great friends with Bill. We ran for Congress and, and attorney general and governor of Arkansas and then did lots of work in his presidential campaigns. And it, it's, it's interesting because, and by the way, one of my best friends in the world is a guy named Mark McKenna who works on the other side. Mm-hmm. And we, but we don't, we love each other. And that's what America needs to start being doing. We need to get together on higher ground, fight like cats and dogs, but purpose over politics, by the way. It's another subject. So it's fascinating because I got to be in the middle of these amazing, uh, sea-changing, game-changing political races. And uh, it's intense. Mm. But uh, it's 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 also really fun. Yeah. When you win. Winning, losing really sucks. Yeah. And by the way, what I learned in politics, there's not a re-grand opening. Right. You don't yeah. get you don't get a, a do-over. You don't get another crack at it. Uh-uh. It's election day. And you, and look, I, I love President Clinton's story. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. I know he is. And, and I did not, I liked him because he was nice to me and I respect it. And I liked, I did like his politics by and large. Um, but when he, he had his moment Mm -hmm. or his, Mm -hmm. um, moments, Mm -hmm. you know, I never thought that I would have those moments Yeah, and, and, but, but I did right. And, and so here we are and, 
and so as I've had my period uh, of you know incredible headwind yeah. um, yes. controversy um, downfall etc I've really figured out who my friends are yeah and you know for you I'm sure that President Clinton had a lot of people that as it's inauguration <laughs> night and all yeah da, 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 it's everybody's there and then nobody's yeah they're not there I had I had dinner with with president clinton in 2001 in new york city with so he gets he gets out of office yeah, in 2000 yeah. really as and i'm going to use this word just because I, I think yeah. i can because they use it with me all the time he, he left almost as a disgrace mm-hmm. and 65 percent of uh, popularity though yeah okay but just, it was just yeah, fy but right I got it. but it, got it and i'm going to get to the yeah. part where i think i can speak to so okay it's me president clinton kevin spacey and chelsea Wow. And of course, for those, for you, me, for everybody that knows the president, he's always late. Yeah, Clinton time. So he's late. And I mean, really late. And so Chelsea's there and I, and I, and I, I didn't know Chelsea, but I was, you know, this is in 2001. I mean, I just won the third tour. I mean, it was, it was hey, rocking. Rocking, baby. So I said, look, I said, how is the president doing? And or I probably said, how's your dad doing? And she said, he's, he's, he's not doing good. Yeah. He's struggling and you know presidents leave office they write books they go on the speaking circuit that he, he did he wasn't doing that okay. yet now we can we see it today which is one of america's greatest comebacks but i just wonder for you as a friend what was that like to be and obviously you never wavered which i no. the thing that i but by the way i didn't meet you yesterday you were my friend I know, I know, 20 sir. years ago I know, so sir. And I'm proud to be your friend. Yeah, well, thank you. So, but what what is that like to be? Because I haven't been that guy on that side. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, obviously, I don't talk a lot about those kinds of things mm-hmm. because that's what friendships are. Um, and you don't need to share any. No, no, no. What, what I, I guess I've reflected back and forth on this. Um, one of the things I've always believed in, because my daddy taught me this. His name was Roy, Roy by the way. Senior. And he six, was six five. five. I know. I read the stories. <laughs> and I'm the little Royito. My hot sauce. If you, little were, Roy. if you were as tall as your dad, you wouldn't have just gone to the University of Texas. You'd have played at the yes, University sir. of Texas. But by the time I got to college, I was I got tired of being little and beat up. Anyway, so he always just told me, just remember Royito. He called me Royito. Everybody's fighting some kind of battle. Mm. Be kind to everybody you meet. And, it, you know, my sister was born with spinal bifida, and that's so what I got to. She was supposed to live to be four months. She lived to be 49. I pushed her to school every day, mm. every day. She graduated from high school because of my mom, and I pushed her uh, every Saturday here in Austin we, and Sunday, and we'd listen to the Cowboys and eat Whataburgers. And um, when she passed away, I was in her bed, and she was 49 years old, and I had this huge epiphany that all these years that I thought I'd been pushing her, she'd been pushing me. Mm. <laughs> and everyone makes mistakes. And so my my deep belief is, I guess Jesse Jackson said it may be the best a long time ago. He says, I made a mistake of the mind, not the heart. And I think when you look at when I stayed with Bill 
and stayed uh, not because I'm somebody special is that I think at some point you realize that everybody does fight some kind of battle. Yeah. And I remember last night in the white house and I've told this story publicly. It was the last night he was in the white house and he calls me and said, Roy, you need to be here. So I said, so it's, we're sitting there and I keep trying to leave and there's thousands of people there and it's three in the morning and he keeps saying, you can't go. So we're sitting out in the hallway of the White House. It's three in the morning, and he looked at me and he said, what's next? Hmm. I said, well, Arkansas had you for 16 years. America had you for eight. The world needs you. Hmm. At that moment was the spark of CGI. Right. Yeah. At three o'clock in the morning, the last day in the White House, and um, CGI the, Clo the Clinton Global yeah, Initiative, yeah, yeah. they've changed their foundation everywhere. Yeah. yeah, so you know, you just you just stick with people who you believe in and you trust, realizing that everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, yeah, and 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 he, to your credit, his credit, her credit, their credit, they went and did it. I mean, CGI was, and it was interesting. I mean, it's unfortunate actually because it, it got, <laughs> I know, politicized. It got really politicized. And it was an amazing and, organization. And we were very much back. I know, in I remember that. those days with Livestrong. We were very much involved with yeah. CGI partners with CGI. God, and that's right, I forgot. But about but then again, you know, the 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 mistakes made his and mine very different. Um, although I've, I've probably made similar mistakes that the president made, um, both causes, whether it be CGI or Livestrong, got politicized yeah. and got hurt. Yeah, yeah. And some would say, you know, yeah. potentially fatally hurt. Yeah. But that's you know, look, you know it's, it's like um, I always tell people. Ann Richards was a great friend of mine, and the I best, did the best. And I ran her campaigns, and from people don't realize I ran her campaign for county commissioner. As a, as a first a woman, first woman ever elected to Austin County Commissioners. Then I ran her campaign for state treasurer. People forgot that she was that. Then I ran her campaign for governor. She had always, I'd see her on the track because she was a walker and I am too. As you know, we walked many miles together. And she went clockwise, which she never did in her whole life. I always went counterclockwise. And I'd see that white hair coming. Yep. And she'd come up and kiss me on the cheek and say, now, she'd whisper, now precious get over it and get on with it yeah and then she'd leave precious <laughs> get over it and get on with it yeah. and i think that's what we all have to do fess up when you mess up get over it get on with it i think you know this but the name of this podcast is the forward i like that next and that is that is another way that's right. my way to say get yep. over it and get on with it i sent a picture of my that's entire staff uh, I, I sent a picture of staff i get up early and with a sunrise you know i have a pretty good view of the town and the lake this morning and i sent the sunrise to the, our people and i and it said uh if if you missed me today don't worry about a thing i'll be back tomorrow and so many of my staff members who know me emailed me back and said i needed that yeah huh. if you miss me today don't worry about a thing i'll be back tomorrow yeah the sun rises tomorrow yes it does don't what did you say? don't 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 
Don't uh, get over it. Get on with it. She's precious, though, first of all. Precious. precious. Get over it and get on with it. When I was diagnosed, I, I knew Governor Richards through Claire Coria, oh, Tony Coria, through their that. son, John Coria, who's still to this day a very good friend of mine. So Claire and, and Ann Richards were very close. Yes, and, they were. And, and when I was diagnosed, I was very close with Claire's son, John. And so she sent me a card. A get well card, and it started. You're gonna love this. <laughs> it's first line. What a rotten deal! And then went on to say something. But I mean, here is yeah. This is a rotten deal. A rotten deal. I well, I remember when one of my best friend's sons was diagnosed with what you had, and I called you, and within 40 minutes, you had a video for him. Yeah, and that's the changed, beauty. Of, it changed his life. But that's the beauty of 2017. I mean, and that's. You know, with these devices that we all that we just talked about. No, but also you just been taking the time to do it. Yeah, just but gotta, it's it's that I know. Easy. Bam, and I tell you what, life. It's I been think. one of the blessings of of this downfall is that I can pretty much do everything I'm asked to do. I can bat a thousand. God, that's you know. And think about that. And in the ten years you, ago, you couldn't. No way. You were you were you were you could do one percent of them. Yeah. And so there's ninety nine percent of the people thinking. Well, gosh, did he, did they get it? Does he not care? Does it is this just a show? Is it now we get to it literally it's goes like this. It goes into Mark's email and to me. And Mark, we gotta make some videos. Yeah. I mean, that's how it, and like I wouldn't trade that for anything. For anything. No, seriously. I get to bat a thousand. Are you still I, walking across the country? Yeah, uh, you know, Piece by piece. Piece by piece. And part <laughs> of it is I'm going to do something. I've, my new project is going to be the Promised Land project I was telling you a little bit yep. about. Yep. And what I realized uh, about my my road on, to purpose. By the way, I've I, I walked through about nine states, 20 miles a day. And Lance knows the story. But I started doing that because I was in New York late at night watching TV, thought I had a tough day. I don't have tough days after going to Haiti, by the way, after the earthquake. But I was listening, watching TV, and it kept flipping back to this Nancy Grace show. Hmm. I don't know. She was yelling at me, and I hadn't done anything. Yeah, That's and her thing. <laughs> every doctor's bad, every dog's bad, every person's bad in America. And I thought at 2 in the morning or whenever it was, I said, that's not right. I'm going to walk across America. You can see the logic there, by the way. Um, there wasn't any, and but, but I'm a walker, so I decided that I was going to program my pedometer, which I did to beep every mile, and I was going to take a picture of something good every mile. Hmm. So I get start in New Hampshire, and I'm walking 20 miles a day by myself. I'm talking to everybody, going into small businesses, going everywhere, and every time the beeper goes off. I have to look for something good. Hmm. I felt a truck hit me with a load of wood and a small uh, country road in Vermont, and I fell 10 feet into a mud trap, and the sunbitch went off. <laughs> I said, what the hell am I going to take, take a picture, picture of? the sky. No, I just took a picture of me. So anyway, uh, <laughs> so, and here's what I learned. Lance. Can I just say something? Yeah. You really aged yourself. Just, I mean, a pedometer? Yeah. Roy. How about a GPS device? How about a... I got one now. It was okay. a pedometer back then, okay? So it was about eight years ago. And so, I know, you know about this. Thing. So here's what I realized. Mom was a teacher, and she'd read me this poem every 
week or whatever. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Hmm. I had no idea what she was talking about right. until I got on the road. You can't travel both roads and be one traveler. Right. And I found if you, you become what you look for, if you look for enemies, you'll find them. If you look for hate, it'll live with you. If you look for gossip, it'll consume you. If you look for fear, it'll... But on the other road, if you look for friends, and I've discovered this on this road because I was looking for good. I didn't even know what this was about. But every second, every mile, I had to look for something good. If you look for friends, you'll be befriended. If you look for love, it'll lift you up. If you look for the truth, it'll set you free. If you look for hope, it'll take you to higher ground. We need to start realizing we become what we look for. And that was why I went on the road to purpose. And I'm going to start it again probably next January. The walk. But it's in on a bigger thing of the perp- of the Promised Land Project. Promised Land Project, which is a ladder off of the, the, the Promise or the uh, Purpose Project. Yeah, basically I've realized, and I hope your listeners... The Purpose Institute, sorry. Yeah, it basically Institute. is after the election... And I realized both sides... This last election. Yeah, and both sides were... There was no room to ladder up to anything higher. And I reflected back on the Don't Mess With campaign, and I said, America has a marketing problem. Hmm. Stay with me. The people who are marketing America right now are the politicians and a lot of the press. I want to market it different. Mm-hmm. So I trademarked the Promised Land Project. I'm hoping Joe Cocker will give me a song. I'm rounding up you know partners. I just need to get the rights. No, I got you. I got you. But I, he was I, our I, neighbor I, in Colorado. He, you know, he, awesome. died, in, he died in Paonia, Colorado. Right, right I didn't know that. Yeah, he lived in Paonia. Oh, he's special. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, amazing. Our big, the Promised Land Project is anchored in the idea that long-term America needs to be driven by purpose and not politics. Mm-hmm. Now, John Lennon is right. Some people might think I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one because I'm out on the road all the time. By the way, young millennials and Zs, their most purpose-seeking generation ever recorded. A lot of them are lost, but purpose-seeking. So Promised Land has a couple of platforms. It's going to be digitally driven, and we're going to have the best in the world. I've got lined up some of the biggest CMOs in the world, in America, to say, wouldn't you like to have America as your client? Yeah, right. And they're going, yes. Yeah. I I would like that. Yeah. So the premise is we're going to encourage young people, young people. I mean, John Kennedy was 41 years old. Clinton was 43. Our guys are old as dirt running this country. We got to get young people to get in the arena. Right, but Roy. Yep, listen. Okay. And we're going to get the purpose gurus in, of a business. You come to the Promised Land Project. If you want to run for public office, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican or Independent or Libertarian. If you want to be purpose driven and not politically driven, we'll teach you how to do that. Secondly, Promised Land Project is going to market the hell out of the respect and dignity of all work again. Everybody who works needs to be realized. It doesn't matter who you are. We got to respect you. Yep. We got to walk in other people's shoes. This is where walking across America. Every month, you might want to throw the first one. Someone's going to throw a dot at the a dart at the American uh, map, and wherever it goes, I'm going. And we're walking. 
I don't have to throw the first one, but I want to throw one of them. <laughs> I swear to God, wherever it is, and we're going to take film crews with us, and we're going to document them, and we're going to we're going to get urban liberals to have to work on farms, <laughs> and urban liberals to work in factories, and we're going to get the cowboys to have to ride the subways, and we're going to document it, we're going to walk, and we're going to talk to each other. And who funds this? I'm you. starting it. I got you. I got you. Uh, and second, keep going. Seven principles. Number three, we have to stop the myth that the only path to success is a four-year college. Mm -hmm. It is a myth. It is wrong. We're picking winners and losers in the ninth grade. Oh, if you go to college, you're a winner. If you don't, you're a loser. It's un-American. And I have all the data behind this. All the jobs out there. We need the people to realize, by the way, there are 10.5 million kids in community colleges. I love them. Their parents don't have money. They're working their way through. They want to be chefs. They want to be welders. Fourth premise, God made us all different, and we judge our kids on standardized tests. Are you kidding me? Hmm. This is America. Have you ever taken strength finders from Gallup? <clears throat> the 16 million people have. We're going to put strength finders in schools. So if you can't spell, quick story, eighth grade, my mom's a teacher. I, I, you remember cursive? Sure. Okay. So I had to turn in a cursive paper. I still have the papers. I was writing on Emerson and I got a C minus because I had eight misspelled words. I still have it. My mom, C's weren't celebrated in my house. Mom didn't say anything. Next year, I'm studying Emerson again in the ninth grade. Mom, I can't take the test. Do the best you can. Turned it in. I had 11 misspelled words. Still have the paper. 11. And there was a taut, little tiny A minus at the top. And I said, Mom, I don't get it. And she said, you can't spell. Hmm. But Mrs. Levesey, your ninth grade teacher, thinks you can write. Hmm. And at 14 years old, Lance, she said, she struck this grand bargain in my little kitchen. I don't want you to spend another second of your life trying to be average at what you're bad at. I want you to spend the rest of your life trying to be great at what you're good at. Oh, wow. Standardized tests, we never find out. Kids in the ninth grade or whatever start thinking, I'm a loser. They're not. Mm. We're going to champion entrepreneurship. By the way, if you have kids out there, stop asking them what they want to do. Ask them what do they love to do. Mm. Middle daughter, Ashley, loved yoga. She opened up Wanderlust Yoga. Yeah, that's amazing. Older daughter, uh, Courtney, loves marketing. She's got the Spence Group. Son Shay comes home from Tulane cooks my wife and I a four-course meal. And I said, Shay, what are you doing? What have you been doing? He said, watching the Food Network. So I said, let's go. He graduated from culinary school, and at 27 years old, he calls. He's now the senior editor for Food for People magazine. The Promised Land is going to say, young people, you can make a living and a life doing what you love to do. Yeah. Don't let anyone tell you. And then we're not going to do the veterans a favor. We're going to repay one. And then my favorite one is Beltway. The Beltway's called the Beltway. I just made this up a while ago, but I like it because they take off the belt and beat each other up. All the solutions in America are going to come from the cities. Hmm. And by the way, when you're in Congress up there, your job is not to invent anything. Y'all screw that up. Go find the solutions like Community First here. Alan Graham has the homeless thing cracked. Scale it. Hmm. So it's a mighty big project, but we're going to be marketing America. Yeah. And if you could just, and I, you, you got to run, I'll let you go, but if, if you could just, and this is why I stopped you just at the beginning, because we're talking, you're talking about these young people, and, and 
and wanting young people to to lead the country. Look, if you're a smart, successful, yeah. promising young person, and you see what what <sighs> they have to go through, mm-hmm. I mean, no, it, it's no it's wonder hard. that people that you know what I'm just going to be a private person and yeah. a successful entrepreneur, and nobody knows me, and I'm not. But you know what? The best and brightest have always been at some moment in time. In America, and I know we have to go, but in, ni- in 970, Leif Erikson, the explorer, discovered America. 500 years later, there was an entrepreneur, what not an explorer, called Christopher Columbus. He was not an explorer. He was an entrepreneur. He conned the Queen of Spain. I've got this idea. He was looking for trade. He put a stake in this country, and we were born different. Hmm. I'm not saying perfect. He basically said, if you will work your butt off, if you'll dream big, in America, we don't care what your last name was, what your family does. Lance, I, my son lives in the Lower East Side. I walk that all the time because that was the birthplace of entrepreneurship. We have to have this country be young again. Mm-hmm. You know why Austin is so awesome? It's forever young. If you're old, you can't live here. I'm not talking age. We have to have America forever young again. Right. Anyway, that's just, I'm going to do it. I don't know what it's, it'll work, but I'm going to try. Brother. I'm going to try. I believe in you. Thank you. <laughs> Good luck. Thanks for doing thank this. You, sir. Yeah, thank Appreciate you, Roy. Thanks for tuning in to the Forward Podcast. Like, uh, like I said at the top of the show, If you have anything you want to say, if you have a suggestion, please, God knows I need suggestions, um, or questions, or concerns, or criticisms, or whatever, let me know. Send me an email. Send it to theforwardpodcast at wedosport.com. I know it's long. I know it's a little confusing. Theforwardpodcast at wedo, W-E-D-U, sport.com singular.com the forward podcast at we do sport.com 